Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Sweet John Arlo. Tonight we will discuss all things NASCAR. BK Racing made some headlines this week. Uh, new crew chiefs over there. Also a new driver of the 23 car this week. Speed um, temporarily shut down. We'll talk about that. Playoff points, NASCAR Pinty Series. Alex Gallagher will be here to talk about that. And Danica, she yelled at the fans at, at Pocono. Uh, is it a driver's responsibility to sign autographs? So we'll talk about all that and more on Talking Circles tonight. You can call and join the show, 917-889-8280, here on Talking Circles. Uh, BK Racing, Johnny, made some interesting moves this week. Um, Greg Galding out this weekend, just this weekend, at Michigan. Uh, he's the normal driver number the three Toyota. Ryan Sieg is in. We've seen him drive uh, the 83 car at Dover. So a little bit of a curious move there, as as well as um, Doug George moves over to the crew chief for the number 23, or excuse me, number 83 Toyota this, this week at Michigan. That's a more permanent role for him. Uh, Randy Cox, who had been the 83 crew chief, will now take over duties of the number 23 Toyota. Uh, what do you make of all this, John? And uh, what do you think BK Racing's trying to do here uh, in this season? I'm not sure what BK Racing is actually trying to do this season. It seems like um, they're trying the young driver deal. I mean, Corey LaJoy has been respectable in the 83. Greg Alding has been okay in the 23, but there's nothing to write home about because they're in subpar equipment. Uh, I think they're trying to find a way to get it to where it's competitive. Um, They have those two charters. I don't know how secure BK Racing is going forward into the future. I think they might be trying to do everything they can to make those charters marketable in the off season. But I mean, heck the way it looks right now, who needs a charter? There's 38 cars entered in Michigan. So I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to see how Ryan Sieg does. He's been competitive in a underfunded Xfinity ride. Let's see what he does in an underfunded cup ride. He keeps um, defenders on the car. He doesn't get himself into too much trouble. So I think they're looking at someone who can probably try to get a top 25 finish. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, they're definitely looking to improve performance, and I think they're looking at trying to do it maybe uh, in a um, you know a a way where they can keep the money down. I mean, they could obviously go out and I know Ron Devine, an owner of that team, two years ago when David Reagan and and um, Matt Di Benedetto got there, he spent some decent amount of money on that team to buy Michael Waltrip racing equipment to go out and uh, really by a, a, a machine to help rebuild those cars. They thought they were going to be very competitive last year. It didn't seem to work. Um, they weren't very good on the mile and a half tracks. I think triad engines were a little bit disappointing for what they were paying for. They kind of had to regroup. I know their um, shop had a, a, a warning notice on it that it was going to shut down if they didn't receive payment. Then they sold the charter from the 83 car. They hired Corey LaJoy, who got off to a rough start this year, but he's actually run a lot better. Um, and LaJoy seems to have a little bit more pure speed in his cars. 
I think Greg Golding does in his cars. And maybe that's where he's looking at it, saying maybe we can get the speed equalized where these guys can run up and help each other every week and get our performance up. Whether it is Ryan Sieg, maybe Ryan Sieg is the answer to all this. Maybe we need a new crew chief on both both of those cars, and we'll put Golding back in a 23 and see what Sieg can do for maybe for next year. Um, it's a very curious move. This is a team that never seems to keep their drivers very long, John. I mean, I remember when David Rudiman got there. I mean, you think about the list of drivers. They've had Landon Castle, David Rudiman, Travis Quapple, um, Ryan Truex, uh, David Reagan, Matt Benedetto. The, the list goes on and on and on, and it just seems like they, they are never really satisfied. They don't have a whole lot of patience. Um, again, this team has, been, I think, underperformed this year. Um, it's just going to be very interesting to see what they bring and how they perform going down the line here, John. I think it might be one of those things, like, remember whenever Red Bull brought, when they first got started, they brought Mike Skinner in to drive the car for Allmendinger to see how a real professional driver who has experience in the Cup Series can do in that same equipment. And basically they figured out it wasn't Allmendinger that was the problem, it was the equipment. It might be the same thing they're trying to do with the 23 team. Uh, Ryan Sieg, again, he's been around the block a lot more than Greg Golding. He understands what a car feels like, what it, what a comfortable feel is in a car, Whether he, even though he hasn't had that much cup experience, but he knows what a comfortable car feels like. Maybe it's something like that where they're just trying to get notes and figure out how to make the cars better. Yeah, I think it's possible for sure. I think when you look at, um, you know, again, beat racing, uh, I don't think Greg Golding's had any more than maybe one top 25 finish all year. BK Racing, and, and again, LaJoy is a guy, and, and, I, and that's what I like about this team, is they give the young kids a shot, maybe young kids that don't have a whole lot of money, like Corey LaJoy. I've been tooting Corey LaJoy's uh, hand here for a while, saying I think he's a very good race car driver, and it just seems like he, uh, you know, everything performs well for Corey LaJoy, where, whatever he's been in, and now, you know, he's in a car that has under, is underfunded, no doubt about it, and he's starting to figure it out a little bit. Best finish we saw from Golding this year is a 20th at Talladega. Before that, um, you know, it was, I, I think, like a, a 29th at Bristol. They've run a little bit better here of recent 24th at Shaw, 24th at Dover, 29th over there uh, at Pocono Raceway. And I think this sort of surprised Golding. You know, with his tweets, uh, with the tweets of Ryan Stig, I think this sort of surprised him. You know, not a race that is not like Sieg's being bringing extra money there this week. Uh, it's just Dr. Pepper on that 23 car. Uh, he's a good driver. We've seen what Ryan Sieg can do in the Xfinity Series in uh, underfunded equipment. He runs his own team there at RSS Racing. Uh, it's a very good race team. So we've seen what he's been able to do. And I think that's something that, um, you know, good for BK Racing to give him a shot because I think he certainly deserves one. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Ryan Sieg? How do you think he'll do this weekend at Michigan, John? And um, do you think we'll see, do you expect to see him in a BK racing car more this season? At this point in time, you can't really tell. One of the things with the Michigan track, it gives you a chance to really see. And there's not a whole lot of places you can get in a lot of trouble there because it is so wide. You have to really do something crazy to mess up at Michigan. Uh, it's a fast track, so you'll find out what kind of speed they have in these cars. And like you said, the triad engines have underperformed in every chance they've got with them. Uh, Ryan Sieg, it's a nice 
it's a nice move for him to get in there. Um, it was kind of lost at Dover how well he did because he was, I mean, he made all the laps, didn't cause any trouble. Uh, he did really well, but it'd be nice to see him. It's nice to see him another shot at it, see how he does as he goes forward. Pocono is one of them tough places to drive no matter what you are. And especially with um, Greg Alding, his first shot at going to Pocono, I mean, it was one of those lost deals. I mean, Bubba Wallace did really good at his first shot at Pocono, but I mean, the speeding penalties on pit road kind of killed his day, but he ran a respectable race. Pocono, I mean, uh, Michigan's a place where you have plenty of, plenty of room to go, plenty of, plenty of time to get out of the way of everybody. There's multiple lanes to choose from. And Ryan Sieg, his respectable day today or on Sunday would be a 25th place finish. I think that's what you ultimately look for to do. Uh, BK Racing is the only team to uh, go out and and do what they, uh, you know, to make headlines this week. Uh, it was an interesting weekend this weekend for Homer Friesen Racing, which is uh, a team that Stuart Friesen runs. He's a great dirt racer, does a lot of good things. Um, up up here in the Northeast, where we're from, running dirt tracks. He's from Canada. Uh, he runs, trying to run a full season in the Camperville Truck Series this year. They announced that they will skip the next two events at Gateway in Iowa and will return at Kentucky June 6, July 6th. Excuse me. Um, they originally had intentions to run a full season. It's not been a great season for Stuart Friesian. He's uh, got four DNFs on a year and seven races. Uh, it, right now, uh, Stuart, excuse me, Hallmar Friesen Racing is on hiatus. And the general manager of that team, Tommy Baldwin, last night was on SiriusXM NASCAR radio and came out and said, listen, they need to do something with this truck series because it's not going to be around in five years. But before we get to that, John, um, what do you think about Hallmar Friesen Racing taking a two-week hiatus uh, from the truck series? I think uh, four out of seven races with DNFs, they probably didn't have a whole lot of a uh, inventory there to begin with. And Stewart's had a couple wrecks and I think Tommy Baldwin's just trying to get regroup the troops and try to get things back together, take a sh- another shot at it whenever they come to Kentucky. Um, both gateway and Iowa are plenty of places where you can get in trouble. If you don't have a backup truck, you could wreck it in practice and end up not making the show and wasting a lot of money driving everybody to Iowa and then not even being able to be in the show. So I think Tommy and the group at um, Hallmar Freeze and Racing are doing a smart thing by taking a pause, regrouping, getting themselves together to find out what they need to do going forward. I mean, Tommy Baldwin's a smart guy. He's going to be able to put good trucks under Stuart Friesen once they figure out how many they need, get everything put together. Tommy's good at this stuff. I mean, he ran an underfunded team on his own and survived for years. He won the Daytona 500 with Ward Burton. I mean, I mean, he's won races as a crew chief. He's won races as a car owner. He's a solid guy, and he knows what he's doing. And I think having Tommy Baldwin there to help out will help get Hallmar Freeze and Racing to the point where they're going to be respectable, and then they can move forward from there. Yeah, you have to wonder if this is a situation where you say we're – was everything sort of rushed too quickly here? Uh, we talk about Friesen's ability to run dirts. I mean, he is an accomplished and decorated dirt racer. Does a lot of great things. He's won a ton of races. 
Um, but came to the Truck Series last year, ran part-time. Wasn't spectacular in the Truck Series a year ago, but, but ran six out of tw- six of 23 races. You know, ran over there uh, at Eldora. His season started, then he ran Bristol. Did a good, decent job at Loudon, had a couple of nice runs, you know, but didn't tear up too much stuff. Now he's running the full-time season and get 14 out of the first seven races. I just think that team thought originally they were going to be out at the gate a little bit better, but this is a hard sport to get into a driver who's from a different medium. Um, you know, he's going to get, even in the truck series, you're going against people who have run, you know, Matt Crafton has been running in this series for a decade. Um, you know, you got a lot of drivers who have run camping world East races, camping world rest races for a while, even some ARCA races, you know, and Friesen started this sort of cold and it hasn't gone as good. And I think you're right about the, the trucks. He went to Fort Worth, Texas this last week and that truck was way off the pace compared to where they normally are and got involved in a wreck. And that really, um, I think, put a hamper on this team. You know, and, and the truck series is an interesting state right now. They run four consecutive tr- weeks with a race. You know, in the first 10 weeks of the season, they only ran three races. So uh, it's an interesting state the truck series are in. No doubt about it. I think it's a, a bit of frustrating year for Stuart Friesian, and they need definitely need to regroup. I think that was a good word to put on it, John. I think that's uh, definitely what this team needs to do and what Tommy Baldwin's trying to do here by taking a two-week hiatus. One of the things Tommy Baldwin's always been smart at, he, uh, if you remember when he first started his team, and that was in the era of starting parks. He started and parked where he knew that they, were, they didn't have enough money for tires or whatever, but he picked and chose – he did a pick and choose of when he thought his team would be competitive and they ran the full race and they were respectable. Dave Blaney would put them in the top 15, top 20. And then there was races they would have to park. And whenever Tommy expanded to the full season, they were a 35th place car, a 30th place car because they just didn't have the funding to go the full season. But when he had time to pick and choose what he wanted to run and when he ran them, they were a solid team whenever they were running the full race. I think right now he's probably taking that approach as he leads uh, Stuart Friesen's team to, okay, we're going to pick and choose our battles. We don't have enough to do everything full out the right way. So let's pick and choose and be respectable when we do run the full race. No doubt about it. I think they uh, would rather be competitive than not competitive. You know, uh, I think that's obvious with the way they've performed this year. And it's it comes at a bad time for the team. I feel bad for them because they had Gateway in Iowa coming up, and I think that would have been a little bit better for them as far as a team who uh, has a driver who is a, a very talented driver, and maybe the organization that, that he's with isn't exactly where they need to be. Uh, so I think that's something that, you know, they look at it and they say, hey, um, we could have run good here at these races coming up. That's where I find it a little bit disappointing because I would like to have seen what they could have done at Gateway in Iowa because we don't run many short tracks anymore, and those are the two that they really could have been competitive and gotten their owner points up. And then you have to worry, and, I, and this isn't an issue right now, um, maybe next year if the truck series field picks up a little bit, but you know, we only have 28 trucks coming to the racetrack, but you got to worry about owner points eventually. Um, so you, you would hope that you know, by taking this two-week hiatus, they can gain some points. You know, you go back to Kentucky, another mile and a half racetrack. Uh, but hopefully this team can figure it out because I think Friesen's got potential to do very well. 
Um, and I, I like Tommy Baldwin. I like Trip Bruce. I think their whole team was built great. And uh, it's just been a real, real struggle for him. Um, any f- final thoughts, John, on the BK Racing and, and, the, Stuart Hot, and the Stuart Friesen news? I think with the Stuart Friesen news, I mean, like we said, it'd be nice to see him run Gateway and Iowa, but also those are two races where you can get in trouble really easy. There's no room to get out of the way. And he had he didn't, couldn't get out of the way in Texas, and Texas is a big track. If he's uh, underpowered and everything whenever they do go to Gateway, it's a one-groove track. If you don't get out of the way there, you're going in the wall, and I don't think they have enough trucks to put another one in the wall. Oh, I can't agree more. I think uh, the fleet of trucks was definitely an issue for this team, and that's why they've decided to, um, you know, go a different direction here for the next two races. 917-889-8280 if you want to join a conversation on Talking in Circles tonight. Uh, an interesting article by Dustin Long on uh, NBCSports.com tonight about Kyle Busch. Um, talking about Kyle Busch and how he's had a really good year. I mean, you look at the speed of that 18 car, even though we talked earlier in the year, John, about Joe Gibbs racing being behind as far as speed is concerned. You know, he's had really good races. He just hasn't been able to finish it. And Sunday at Pocono was another ordeal. Led a ton of laps, did everything great. Wasn't able to win a race uh, because he got left there on old tires. Not really crew chief's fault, but just, you know, uh, just the way races fall sometimes. Um, but it's, that's interesting to me because Bush has really missed out on a lot of uh, – Playoff points. Right now, when you look at the playoff points, Martin Truex Jr. stages, he's won two races. You know, and those playoff points are going to add up, and they're going to be very, very important when we get to the playoffs or the chase, whatever you want to call it. He's got 18 playoff points, Truex. Compared to Kyle Busch, he's got four. So you look at that, and you go, Truex is going to have at least a 14-point lead for Kyle Busch going into the chase. Um, and that doesn't include – if Truex wins the, wins the regular season, he's going to get extra bonus points there as well. So uh, bonus points here, John, they're going to be very interesting. Brian Blaney picked up three from his win at Pocono. That was huge for him. Uh, but these Joe Gibbs racing cars, you know, look at Matt Kenseth right now. He's an interesting guy. He's had a decent year. He's 13th in points, but he's only got one playoff point this year. Uh, that's not going to get it done. He's got to be better than that if he wants to make it Clint Boyer again. You know, we talked about his improvement from where he was in 2016. He doesn't have playoff points. Denny Hamlin's got two. McMurray doesn't have any, and he's been fast all year long. These guys better get up on the playoff points, John, or they're going to be sitting ducks come playoff time. Yeah, I think uh, Kyle Busch has been – he's been snake bit throughout the year. He's had a great season. If you think about it, he's second in laps led to Martin Truex Jr. Truex has over 800, and Kyle Busch is in the 700s in laps led. Um, it's funny, is uh, with Dustin Long's article, he's uh, got the 12 days of Christmas going where he has seven top 10 finishes, a six-word press conference, five top fives, four-race suspension for his crew chief, tire changer, and tire carrier, three races lost in the final 10 laps, two catchphrases, everything is great, and I'm not surprised about anything. And the memorable mic drop or the punch thrown or the bloody forehead or the commitment line violation or the star win. I mean, Bush is just having it. Going wrong. Just amazing what all's going wrong with Kyle Bush.
Oh, as we go forward, I mean, you look at Kyle Busch and his season, the way it's gone so far, he has had a solid season. But as Clayton was talking about earlier, you think about the playoff points as you go forward. Martin Truex Jr.'s got 18. Um, Jimmy Johnson second with 15. But Jimmy Johnson doesn't have a stage win throughout the season. He has the three three race wins. Um, next is Brad Keselowski with 12. Then you have Kyle Larson with eight. Um, but, I mean, you look at some of the stage wins. Martin Truex Jr. has been dominating that. He has eight of them. Kyle Larson with three. Harvick with three. Uh, Kyle Busch has four stage wins, but he hasn't crossed the finish line first yet to start the season. Um, some of the other stage winners, I mean, Chase Elliott has two stages. Denny Hamlin has two. Logano, Matt Kenseth, each with one. Uh, those are all stage points that we're talking about. Blaney has eight playoff points and three stage wins to go with his win this past Sunday at Pocono. So the playoff points are going to be interesting as we go forward, Clayton. Oh, for sure. I think they're gonna. That's that's all it's gonna mean. I mean, if Truex and I, I don't know if NASCAR has come out with, and I have to look about the playoff points as far as how much they're gonna be, uh, how important they're gonna be. Um, you know, as far as when the regular season is over, I think it might be 15 extra points. Truex gets. I have to look at that again, but it's a significant amount to go through one through ten. So these drivers who get in on their points. You know, and they're 16th and, and, and lower in points, and they don't have a lot of uh, – it's going to be a major, major deal. And those stage wins that you have, the one point playoff point that you get for stage wins are going to add up. I think teams are going to race differently. I think you're starting to see teams race a little bit differently with how much how important the playoff points are. Um, I think it's a very, very interesting topic because this is the first year we've experienced this with um, – you know, stages and, and how they've gone about this championship run. And I think it's completely different than anything we've done. Uh, it makes it so much uh, different as far as playoff points are concerned. You know, Jimmy Johnson right now, he's seventh in points. That 48 team has been very good, but he's going to be – and if he keeps this up and, and doing what he's been doing, he's in good chance – he's got a good chance to make the Final Four just by off of playoff points alone. Um, I think you want to see Kyle Busch start winning some races so he can accumulate those. And you're going to see, Clint, again, Clint Borders had a good year. He might make it in on his points. But when he gets when it comes playoff time and he doesn't have those playoff points, same thing with Matt Kenseth and even Joey Logano because his win was encumbered, it's going to be a big, big deal. And these guys are going to have to race their tails off in the chase if they want to continue, uh, if they want to continue in the chase. Because I think those playoff points and the fact that they, you know, Carry on through this through each round of the playoffs, through round one, round two, and round three. I think it's huge, and I think it's something that teams are going to be focusing on here in the second half of this regular season. I think right now, unless something crazy happens, you can almost pencil Martin Truex Jr. in for the Final Four. I mean, because of the way they've run. I think Cole Pern and Martin Truex looked at the rules that NASCAR put in front of them, and they said, we got to win stages in every possible way. And they've won more stages than anybody else in the circuit. Um, and they've played the game properly. I mean, they've got eight stage wins. The next highest is Kyle Busch with four. Then you've got Harvick with three and Ryan Blaney with three. Everybody else is two or less. Those stage wins, those are a point each going in. And if Truex ends up winning the regular season championship or regular season title, that's 15 more points going on to his total at the end. He could have, I mean, if it would be today, he has 33 playoff points 
which nobody's going to be able to beat unless he completely goes out the rocker throughout these uh, first race. I mean, he had to blow two engines almost to not make it because, I mean, they run well, they run respectable. I mean, and if you looked every time throughout the thing, a lot of times who wins races makes each way through. I mean, the last last segment last year, before we got to Homestead, there were three different winners. And you're going to have to win to get to Homestead. But I think unless something crazy happens, the way it looks right now, if Truex keeps that points lead, which he only has by one point over Kyle Larson, um, Truex could be a lock getting to the final four unless he has engine troubles. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think um, when you look at it from, from that standpoint, it makes it interesting because, you know, the points and everything as far as, you know, if teams want to focus on winning the regular season, uh, it makes you wonder if Jimmy Johnson and these teams that have sort of you – know, Jimmy, I use Jimmy Johnson as an example because we think Jimmy and Chad have taken it in recent years. We've talked about it on the show numerous times. have taken the regular season and used them of where it looked like things – they were sort of testing there. And I don't think it's going to be – they're not going to be able to do that if they want to win this championship. They, you know, I think Pocono, they were sort of testing something out with the brakes it might have been a mistake on Hendrick Motorsports' part as well because they had never run the lower downforce package at Pocono, and the speeds getting into the corner were a little bit faster than what they expected, so they were using a little bit more brake going into the corner. Um, I think that could have definitely been something, but you know, this is a team that notoriously, notoriously tests during the chase, and I think when you look at that, you sit there and you go, hey, um, these teams can't do that anymore because this is a very important time of, of the season now where you have to sort of keep these teams, your other competitors, off the board. You know, we talk about so many drivers out there, like Hendrick, like the teams at, at Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, who don't, don't have a win yet. If you're Martin Truex Jr., you're not worried about the wins at Joe Gibbs Racing because you sit there and you say, I want to have an advantage when I get to the championship. I would like to keep Joe Kibbs racing off the board from getting any playoff points so I don't have to worry about them getting into the chase. I think it's a very underrated thing about this. He's got eight stage wins. The next guy's got four, and it's Kyle Busch, but he doesn't have a race win, so he's only got four playoff points. It just shows you how dominant and how good and, and such a good place that Martin Truex Jr. and that furniture racing team has put themselves in for the championship hunt in 2017, like you said, John. I think Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr. together have been magic. I mean, they've taken everything, figured it out. They led laps like crazy last year and had a bunch of wins. And the year before, when they probably – nobody really thought about it, they were in the final four whenever they really weren't ready to be. And then last year, they started winning races like crazy. And this year, they're leading laps and winning races. I think it's a great season so far for Martin Truex and that Furniture Row racing team. But Kyle Busch, you've got to look at it. This, he's led over 700 laps and hasn't won yet. It's coming. And when it comes, it's going to come in bunches because he's been up front all season long. The other one who I think is getting ready to make a big move is you look at Harvick. Um, the switch to Ford with Stuart Haas Racing took a little bit out of the sales. I mean, they're getting their feet under them, the whole different notebook of everything. Um, and Harvick has been respectable, but it hasn't been like him and Rodney Childers have been since they first put that four car together, where they just went straight to the top of the speed chart every time they were out there. But 
you look at the end of the race at Pocono, and Pocono is not one of Kevin Harvick's better tracks. Kevin Harvick was the fastest car on the racetrack at the end of Pocono. I think they spent a lot of time trying to get that 14 team put back together because they struggled the last three years with Tony. And I think they were doing everything they could to get Clint set, get him ready to go. I know they were working on sponsorship issues with Danica, but I think the four car is set to have a great summer. And whenever we get to uh, Richmond in September, I think we'll be talking about Martin Truex Jr. I think we'll be talking about Kyle Busch. I think we're going to be talking about Kevin Harvick. I think we'll be talking about Brad Keselowski and Jimmy Johnson as the five who have a shot at being the final four. Can't agree more. I think it, it it's going to come down to how these playoff points, and there's still a lot of racing left to go. There's still uh, super speedway racing to come. Uh, road court, two, uh, one road court, two road courses, excuse me, before we get to the chase, where these obscure teams that don't have uh, playoff points normally, I think it's a way for them to pick up points when, you know, it might not have been initially where uh, they might not have been able to have points. You, know, you look at a team like A.J. Allmendinger in a 47 team, they haven't run good enough to get to the front uh, on a weekly basis this year, but they're a threat every time you go to the road course. And right now where they are in points, they have to run road course races, uh, the road course race as well. They got to put everything they can, they possibly can, into the road courses over there, because if they don't, they're not going to make the chase. They're going to win, and that, but that will give them some time to, you know, get playoff points as well. Okay, John, here's the next segment of our show. Alex Gallagher from the NASCARHomeTracks.com will join the show to talk about the NASCAR Pinty Series. Uh, hey, Alex, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thank uh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Can you give us, you know, for for people in America who might not know a lot about the Pinty Series, can you just give us, uh, you know, the the lowdown on on what the Pinty Series is all about, how it was created, and how it's grown over the years since it's been created? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it started out a long, long, long time ago. We've had racing in Canada for quite a long time, and it actually started out as a series called the Cascar Super Series beautiful name, before NASCAR bought the series in 2007, turning it into the then NASCAR Canadian Tire Series. So over the years, it's kind of just evolved and evolved and has gone to big tracks like Exhibition Place in Toronto, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal, before Pinty's bought the naming rights in 2015 and have put a lot of money into the sport and uh, promoting it and making it uh, a little bit bigger than it was uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's it's something that I think has grown traction in recent years. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, drivers. TJ Kenton, for example, a driver who's come to Daytona for the Daytona 500 and uh, performed really pretty well in Daytona, you know, uh, got caught up in a wreck there, but was very recognizable as the first Canadian driver since 1988 to make the Daytona 500. Um, what other big-name drivers are there up there in the Pinky Series that uh, you think – might have a chance to, you know, um, go into the cup ranks, go into the Xfinity ranks here in the next couple of years. Well, you know what? I look at drivers like Alex LeBay, who's already uh, kind of got in with a, a cup team. He races for Go Fast Racing's uh, Canadian division, and he's actually the defending race winner of the Upper Drum Chaudière, which is coming up this week. And he also won last time out of Delaware. He's a very strong racer and has actually done a couple uh, Xfinity Series races, most recently, I think, being at Charlotte. 
Uh, Kevin Lacroix, who is the current series points leader, has always run spectacular. He hasn't been too well on the ovals, but as a road course ringer, he's an incredible driver. Alex Tagliani and Andrew Ranger are probably a couple names that uh, a lot of Americans might know. Tagliani and Regan Smith famously had a dust-up at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course a couple years back. And Andrew Ranger has been in and out of everything you can possibly imagine. Trucks, Xfinity, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series cars. This man has driven it all. And speaking of DJ Kennington, uh, at the season opening race of most sport, I actually had a chance to talk to DJ Kennington about Daytona. And he told me that it was probably one of the most exciting things he's ever done in his life, but it's also one of the most terrifying things he's ever done in his life. Uh, His home track of Delaware is a key to something like Bristol, and he's racing on a track about four or five times the size of that, going four or five times the speed. So it's great to see some Canadian drivers manage to find their way down. And let's not forget about Caden Lapsovich, who is the brand-new member of the NASCAR Next program, the defending series champion in the NASCAR Pinty Series at age 16. Well, he's now 17, but that's still an incredible feat. Um, he's been, I had a chance to talk to him, actually, before that, and he said that he's very excited to be part of that program because Gary Clute, who was a part of it last year, managed to run the Truck Series race at Most Sport for Kyle Busch Motorsports. He ran very well there before being caught up, and Caden Lazovich hopes to one day become uh, the same as guys like Andrew Ranger, Alex Tagliani, but he hopes to become the next uh, cup regular, hopefully one day in the future. Uh, This is John Harlow. I was looking at the point standings right now after the two races they've had so far. And I mean, I just think with Alex Tagliani having the history that he has and being the big name he is in Canada and with DJ Kennington making the trip down here, those two are seventh and 10th in points. It looked like DJ had a rough first race of the season but both of them have been respectable. How much do you think that Alex Tagliani and DJ Kennington are sort of the face of the series and you've got the young kids coming up? Are they the two that basically the pity series bangs, hangs their hat on when they're promoting everything around the country? Honestly, um, that's definitely one of the things, you know, I find that Alex Tagliani is one of the most high profile drivers along with actually, believe it or not, Andrew Ranger. Because uh, those two guys have been in and around the highest level of NASCAR for quite a long time. And even though DJ Kennington did run the Daytona 500, he is getting up there in age. He's, uh, he's almost pushing 40. So he's, uh, he's not the youngest driver out there. But Andrew Ranger and Alex Tagliani still have a little bit of youth and a little bit of fight left in them. So when TSN, uh, the ESPN equivalent up here in Canada, airs the commercials, they tend to kind of use guys like Alex LeBay or Alex Tagliani or essentially whoever won the last race to really promote the series to Canadian viewers. Because unfortunately, unlike the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, Pinty Series races are actually not broadcasted live here in Canada. They're actually uh, pre-recorded and cut down into hour segments. And I actually spoke to the president at TSN, and he was telling me that it's just because you have so much going on at this network that they don't have time to be able to run everything. So when they do manage to promote them, they use pretty much as many drivers as they possibly can think of, but they still do rely on the big-name drivers like DJ Kennington and Alex Tagliani. It's interesting that you mentioned that about the TV deal because, you know, for people who know NASCAR Cup Series history, um, that's sort of the way it was back in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, late 70s. 
where, you know, you didn't exactly have uh, TV. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of people complaining about FS1 and NBC Sports Network and saying, well, we don't get that channel, but at least you see the races live and full in person. And these, and these you know, in Canada, they don't do that. Um, do you think the series has grown uh, and obviously, there's, there's, it seems like there's more growth to do. But what do you think um, this series can? How do you think the series can grow to where it is sort of primetime television in Canada? I really think that when Pinties signed on to be the new sponsor, they injected a new breed of life into the sport. Because really, I believe Canadian Tire had the naming rights, essentially kind of just to have the naming rights because they wanted their name on everything. They didn't really do that much to help out the sport, but when Pinties came on board, they've put in so much money into marketing, into putting, getting the series name out there. Heck, I have a bunch of series hats, uh, and they all have the Pinties logo on them. So Pinties has definitely made a mark in um, getting it on TV. It's just about trying to convince the networks. Uh, really, we have a lot of high-profile drivers. We just need the numbers. Uh, on average, there's like 20 to 18 cars competing in a, a certain event. And to a lot of networks, they kind of feel that that's not a lot. That's not enough cars that should be competing. But at the end of the day, it's very expensive because Canada is a really big country, and not a lot of these teams have the money to fly back, forth, back, forth from Antignish to Edmonton. And so I think in order to grow this sport even more to become prime time, you have to find a way to convince the people here in Canada that think racing is dumb. The guys who only watch hockey, only watch baseball, or only watch uh, basketball like the Raptors. You have to find a way to convince those fans to come over and give NASCAR a try. And that's something that I've kind of been stranded in here in Canada is that I'm one of the only NASCAR fans in a sea of Toronto Maple Leafs fans. And converting them is not an easy task, but I think the Pinty's marketing team and the series marketing team is up to the challenge. Well, Alex, uh, I was looking at the race coming up this week where Alex Labby, you were Alex LeBay, you were talking about was um, one of the young guns they're hanging their hats on. I mean, as they come to the track this week, it's in his hometown and he's, has two poles, a win and a second. And he seems like he's already counting this one as it is because he basically said when he comes home, I know I am the one to beat. Uh, who do you think can give him a run for his money this week? Really, it's going to be difficult because Alex is like last week at Delaware, that was DJ Kennington's home grounds. DJ Kennington was really fast, really good, and fortunately just didn't have the pace during the race. When you look at Alex LeBay, that's 100% not the case. Alex LeBay is strong every time he comes to Autodrome Chaudière because that's what he grew up doing. He actually, I think, finished second to Kyle Busch in a late model race a few years back. And that is that's something to be said about how well this guy knows this track. And in terms of giving him a run for his money, I really think it's going to be a guy like Tagliani or Andrew Ranger or, heck, maybe even Kevin Lacroix because Kevin Lacroix now has Don Thompson Jr., one of the most, one of the best old track racers in all of NASCAR Canada, as his crew chief. So really, I think the Alex LeBay show could be upset by one of those three guys. Interesting. It's going to be a very interesting race to watch. You know, we talk about Tagliani, and obviously people um, know him from his open wheel ranks. You know, uh, he's had, he had a long career there in the open wheel ranks in kart and IndyCar. 
and whatever you want to call it. Um, how, did, how is he adopting the stock cars? Do you think he's making a very good adjustment to, to stock cars? I know, um, you know, what's that schedule like? Is, it, is there a lot of road courses, uh, a lot of short tracks? You know, because this is a guy, I think, with his open-wheel background and his, you know, he, he, he didn't want a ton of races there, but he's got a lot of experience in open wheels. He could be a guy who, uh, you know, we might see venture off into the Cup Series in a couple of, in a year or two here if he figures out these stock cars. But do you think he has the ability to do that, and how has he done it so far? Alex Tagliani is a guy you never count out. He's a former Indy 500 pole sitter. He's a former Camping World Truck Series pole sitter, and you really can't um, count him out of any race. Uh, look at Sunset Speedway out in my home uh, area of uh, Muskoka Perry Sound, and really that track is a very short oval. It's only, I think, a third of a mile or three-eighths of a mile or something very small like that. He won both races that year. He led from the pole, and I think in the 2016 instance of the race, he lapped the entire field. So he finds uh, – I actually talked to him at most sport, and he, he finds the cars a little sluggish, and they're a little hard to control. They don't have the same get-up and the same uh, steering capacity as the Indy cars that he's accustomed to driving. And Alex, he's very um, – he is very confident when it comes to driving these cars – but he just feels that he needs to get a little bit more experiences on the road courses because they're not the easiest things to drive in, in those kind of cars. Uh, at most sport, uh, there was a race in the rain. It had downpoured all day, and he actually ended up sliding his car off the track due to the fact that he went in way too hot uh, into the, uh, I think it was turn four. And so I think Alex Tagliani has, does have the stock car racing down pat, he just needs to get a little bit more practice in the uh, in the long in the long tracks, a track like Texas or a track like Charlotte. So we don't have anything like that on the schedule. Uh, I think the biggest track that we have that is not a road course is a half mile, which is in Delaware, and that would be keen to something like Bristol. So if for Alex Tagliani to have any chance of making it on the Cup side, he would definitely have to get <clears> some laps in a place like Daytona, Texas, or a much larger track. Well, Alex, uh, we appreciate you being on the show with us. And one of the things that I want to give you a little hint for, I have a lot of friends of mine who thought I was stupid for watching cars goes in circles. Get them to the track once, they'll fall in love with it. And that's your best way to convince the people. Just get them to the track. And I hope Pinty's is running good promotions. And I hope the tracks are making it affordable for everybody to go. And I hope it isn't like places like Bristol and all these other ones where if it's a hotel nearby on a race weekend, it's $5 billion to have a hotel room. So hopefully um, the Pinty series is working with the hotels in the area and doing great promotions um, to get people to the track. And once you get them there, they're going to keep coming. Yeah, I really hope so, too. You know, the races I've been to and I've booked the hotels, they haven't been too insanely priced. They've actually been pretty modest. And in terms of your little theory, it can't be any more correct. Uh, My my mother wasn't the the biggest NASCAR fan until we took her to a race down in North Carolina, and ever since that day, she has been a diehard fan the rest of her life. Uh, My sister, she hasn't been too keen on racing, so we're definitely going to take her out to the – exhibition place race and hopefully she can find the same love for racing that i found when i was a kid alex thanks very much for joining clayton and i on talking in circles tonight hey thank you guys for having me alex Callie from nascar home tracks joining the show tonight 
on Talking in Circles, talking about the NASCAR Pinty Series up in Canada. A lot of fun to discuss that. Just a different series, you know, sort of um, still in its baby steps as far as uh, compared to where the Cup Series is these days, even the Xfinity and the Truck Series. So it's fun to kind of look back and say, you know, you read about those problems back in the 70s and 80s that the Cup Series had growing, and it's kind of fun to look back and say, will we see the Canadian Tire Series or, excuse me, the NASCAR Pinty Series, I'm so used to calling it the entire series, will we see that series grow to where, uh, you know, one day to where the Cup Series is currently? Um, 917-889-8280, if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Uh, An interesting topic has been a a hot topic this week, John, as far as um, Danica Patrick and drivers signing autographs. Danica, uh, if you missed it, she... um, told fans that it's not her job to sign autographs after a fan, you know, jumped the, 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 the line there to where security should have been holding them back, tried to get something signed by her. She they completely ignored him, then walked over and said, it's not my job to sign autographs. My job is to drive the race car and tell the crew chief what's going on. I don't appreciate the booze. It hurts my feelings. She got booed as she was walking away. Um, first of all, John, you know, again, it's a, if you haven't seen it, you know, I don't know where you've been. It's been a very hot topic as far as uh, people who, if our listeners have never seen it, but what do you think about that, John? What, how did you think him, Danica handled that situation? And do you think it is part of a driver's job to sign autographs? Um, everything I've seen so far from a lot of the, even her teammate, Kevin Harvick, said on Happy Hours Tuesday night, he views it as part of his job because without the fans, there's no TV money. There's nobody coming to the track. There's no reason to race. So he gets to do what he loves because people come out and support them. So he signs every chance he can. Ryan Blaney even said, no, Ryan Blaney said, no, it's not my job to sign autographs, but I really like doing it. And I really like interacting with the fans. And he says, I try to go out 15 minutes before I have to be anywhere to make sure I have the time to sign autographs. And he makes it a point to sign for kids. And if you're that grown up who's looking for the autograph that you're going to sell on eBay or something, uh, whatever, I don't see not signing for kids. Um, With Danica, the position she's in right now, I'd be signing everything that moved. She's struggling with sponsors. She's struggling on the track. Even junior said, whenever he's struggling, he looks at uh, signing autographs for the fans as therapy because he may be upset with the way the car is running or upset with the way he finished, but there's some kid there with a smile on his face and took his parents took the money to spend and buy a Dale Jr. shirt and a Dale Jr. hat. If he can make their day a little better by signing his name, it makes his day a little better. So if I'm Danica, I sign everything that moves right now because her fan base is what's kept her in the sport and her ability to bring in sponsorship. Her ability to bring in sponsorship is kind of slowing down. She didn't get voted into the all-star race this year, so her fan base is starting to dwindle. I'd be doing everything I could to make make good with the fans. And she said in Boston today, because she was up there promoting the New Hampshire race, she had a moment. The guy who did jump past security kind of startled her. And she wasn't going to reward him for ignoring the security guard. And other people booed about it. Now, granted, they're probably Philadelphia fans, and Philadelphia booed Santa Claus, but, I mean, you can understand both points of view, but I'm still, if I'm Danica, I'm doing everything I can to sign every autograph possible. Oh, I totally agree, John. And I think um, there, there's certainly 
two ways to look at it. Um, you know, definitely, I think the fan jumping over the security guard security line, which I didn't know about until today, honestly, um, was ridiculous. And I was there Sunday and Saturday at Pocono, and you know when I see a driver, you know, a fan not get a particular driver's autograph, and they were signing, the way some of them acted was absolutely ridiculous. But I do agree with you. I think um, it is part of a driver's job, and it is uh, just to me um, the, way, the way Danica handled the whole situation by coming over and cursing at the fans was completely unacceptable. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles, we got Lee in Virginia with us tonight. Hey, Lee, what do you want to talk about? Hey, I want to talk about this Danica thing. Can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, I got yeah, you good, yeah. bud. Loud and clear. All right. Um, you know, John and Clayton, I've never seen a driver so low in points be so awful to fans in my life. I mean, when you, it's one thing when you're running up front and you're a winner. You know, I'm sure there were times where Dale Earnhardt didn't sign autographs and Rusty Wallace didn't sign autographs and so-and-so didn't sign autographs. But when you're 30th in points – and you don't have a sponsor, and you run like crap every week. You know, I understand that you're frustrated, but David Reagan said it on, on leaving the track on Pocono. If you're going to run bad, you got to be a nice guy. Well, listen, you got to be a nice guy, Danica. You're not selling sponsors. You're not appealing to anybody. You know, the reason why Danica is still here, part of it, is because there are delusional fans out there who still think that she can drive. I want to know what those fans think about about what went on at Pocono on Sunday because – to me, that was – it's inexcusable. I mean, if you don't have any time to sign autographs, what are you walking over there and, and dropping an F-bomb in front of fans for? You don't have any time. You just completely ignore them. You're not the first driver that's ever been, ever been booed, Danica. I assure you. You're not going to be the last driver that's ever been booed, Danica. I promise you. So, I mean, who the hell do you think you are doing that to the fans? I mean, these are hard-paying fans. I understand – you want to ignore them and walk right past them? Go right ahead. But you don't go over there and, and – and, and, do what you need to do and drop an F-bomb. I know there are some people in the media who need friends who want them to like her, who want her to like them, who are disagreeing with what I'm saying. I don't see how they can disagree with this because, to me, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen at a racetrack. Well, Lee, one of the things I've noticed, Kyle Petty, who's never been a fan of Danica to begin with and basically called her a circus when she first came to the sport. And he was right. Um, Everybody killed him for that, and he was right. And he said walk away or just sign the autograph, pick one. You have no right to go cursing out fans. Yes, you have feelings. I understand that. Everybody has feelings, but you signed up for it. You're getting paid millions of dollars to go out there. I mean, if you, I mean, you look at it, you're Lee, you're a big Yankees fan. I'm a big Red Sox fan. When David Ortiz went to Yankee stadium, how many boos did he get? Oh, I booed the hell out of him. But did you respect him as a player? Absolutely. The difference is you could boo the hell out of Danica, but nobody respects her as a driver. So you've got to do everything you can, as you said with David Reagan, if you're not going to be good, you better be nice. I mean, she should be kissing everybody's ass possible. Yeah, and I think that's where it comes to me as, uh, you know, this is the fans aren't going to have sympathy for you. Um. I'm sorry. Nobody's going to sit there and say, hey, um, I feel sorry for Danica Patrick because she's 30th in points and she's got to sign some autographs after after qualifying and she only makes $25 million a year to strap on it, to go out and, and do a job that 
95% of the population would love to do and get paid for it and handsomely and, and, and get paid for it, you know, way more than the guys back in the 90s and 80s and 70s did. I mean, they not that they have it made. I'm not saying their job's easy. But compared to a generation before where these guys, these drivers in the 90s and even the late 80s uh, were risking their lives every week by not having great safety innovation, by, you know, living in, in motor coaches that nearly weren't nearly as nice as the things that these drivers have now. You have it pretty darn good as a race car driver. So if you want to sign a few autographs and you're going to get booed, oh, well, who cares? You have a very, very good life. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be sympathetic for you. I'm just not. When a fan pays $50 of hard-earned money to get into the infield and they want an autograph, they're going to be disappointed when they don't get it. Now, again, there are people out there who are ridiculous. I think the guy that crossed the line was ridiculous. This old lady, at, like I said, at Pocono this weekend who screamed at Kyle Busch because Kyle Busch was signing everybody's autograph but her because she was in a certain spot that he didn't get to, and she was screaming like she was an eight-year-old girl, and this lady's like 50 years old. That, to me, is ridiculous. But the mo- but what Danica did, to me, is unexcusable. Uh, like, like you said, Kyle Petty said, walk away. Richard Petty, his dad, was one of the guys who people said – Never passed up an autograph. There's a story about Richard Petty being in line at Daytona to go into the Daytona racetrack, and, and somebody looks over and sees Richard Petty, and they pull out a 43 car, and in the middle of traffic, Richard Petty gets out and signs, and signs the car. That's just the way it was, and it helped build the sport. Is this kind of relationship, Lee, uh, with the fans, what Danica's doing, does this hurt the sport, you think? Absolutely. And listen, it's not just Danica. You know, I've gone on the record in saying this. It's a lot of drivers, not just Danica. And I think there are times when, you know, I understand the old Benny Parsons adage, well, I'm not going to give you an autograph when I'm working in the garage. And I understand that. I understand, I get that point. But I think also there are times where, you know, driver introductions, going to the driver's meeting, you could sign autographs and, and, and engage the fans. You know, those are times, and, and even there, you're walking back to what? to go run 26th and qualify, you know, what are you doing there? She's not doing anything. She just doesn't want to deal with the fan base. Most of the fans out there, especially the feminine population of the fan base, love her and deal with her. And, and you know, today she was on Boston and, and all the people who don't watch her on the racetrack, clearly, because if they did, they would think she's a joke, were cheering for her. So she's perfectly fine with those fans and not fine with the other fans. You can't have it both ways. To me, you got to think the good with the bad. One of the things I noticed this past weekend, Lee and Clayton, was when the cup drivers took over the um, Xfinity race on Saturday, and it seemed like everybody was prepared but Danica. I mean, Harvick did a great job of play-by-play. Him and uh, Logano and Boyer were fantastic, but it seemed like Danica was the one out of the bunch that wasn't prepared. And it just seemed – I mean, she's this close to not having a ride, not being in the sport – you'd think she would be looking at the possibility of sticking on as some sort of pit reporter or doing being the host on the pre-race show or something like that. But she wasn't even close prepared, and she looked out of her league, and she's always been the ready-for-TV person. There's no, I've not seen a camera where she can't find her way to, especially when, like, Mikey's doing his stupid-ass race walk before the race. He always finds Danica, and she's always willing to stop and talk to him because – She's got to get her face on TV because she sure as hell ain't doing it on the track. For sure. I mean, I can't agree more with that as far as she was just, she's looked at as a marketing machine. And, you know, with the interview with, with when Erica Marola got, she was in that wreck with Erica Marola. I think that painted her in a bad light. 
and this is kind of painting her in a bad light as well. Uh, it hasn't been a very good couple of months for Danica Patrick. Lee, uh, final words, what, what do, you, do you have any more thoughts on the Danica Patrick thing? Well, I just think you're starting to see the real her, you know, and, and thankfully as race fans, we don't have to deal with this for another six months, seven months, and we don't have to deal with her in 2007, 2018. So uh, that's all I have to say about that. Thanks, Lee. You had a lot to the show, and uh, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, I agree. I think uh, she's in a weird situation, obviously, because um, her contract is up, and you would think that, John, she would be on her best behavior uh, with uh, you know pending contract talks coming up, but apparently it doesn't seem to be the, uh, the way she's been acting. Here's a big difference. Kyle Busch has um, everybody – either loves him or hates him. And Kyle Bush has an attitude here and there whenever it comes to ticking people off. Tony Stewart would blow off people on autograph time too. There's a big difference. Kyle Bush and Tony Stewart have cup championships. Kyle Bush and Tony Stewart have history in the sport. Danica hasn't finished above 25th in her career. And what's really sad is this woman who made it there, and got to the sport where there's a heck of a lot of us who would love to and never got the chance. She's made more money in her time in the Cup Series than probably Daryl Waltrip, a three-time Cup champion, did in his career. Mm-hmm. So she has no reason to gripe, moan, complain about anything. She is a mid-pack to back-of-the-pack runner, but has made more money in her short career in the Cup Series than people like Daryl Waltrip, Cale Yarbrough probably did in their entire careers. And and just think about the difference in the way, you know, these drivers have cool suits and uh, the way they cool off and just how safe it is in the race cars. And, you know, they have they can fly to the races when these drivers used to have to drive to the races. And it's just, listen, I don't want to hear a complaint. Nobody's going to have sympathy for it because we all remember those days. And uh, I think that's why a lot of fans kind of went sour on her this week. Um Next show, we, it was a great show tonight. Our next show is Sunday. We're going to recap uh, the Truck Series at Gateway. Xfinity Series runs at Michigan. Uh, the Cup Series runs at Michigan as well. Should be an interesting race. Um, but Wallace back in the 43. We'll see how he does in his second race at Richard Petty Motorsports. Um, we'll see if Joe Gibbs Racing can get their first win at Michigan this season. They've gone. It's hard to believe they've gone this long without winning a race. As far as the Xfinity Series is concerned, uh, Ken, will be an Xfinity Series regular winning this week? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Usually it's not. I think Larson's, again, a, a, a chance to win that race as well. Um, you can listen to our show on our Twitter page, go to Talking and Circles, uh, on our Facebook page as well, like our Facebook page. And we'll see you here Sunday after the race weekend here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.